Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. Kane Pittman and Olga Nulich. Round 15 of the NBL is in the books. The Bullets with back-to-back wins to put themselves right in the mix. The Kings turned it around, maybe, on Sunday against the New Zealand Breakers. And what's going on with Tassie in close games in the fourth quarter? This is really making my very strong Tassie predictions look a little bit rough at this point in the season. And I'm sure Olgan has plenty to say about that. Uh, Bryce Cotton, he went nuts as well. We expected at this point in time, but plenty to work through from the weekend's hoops. Olgs. Uh, I like to do this, and this is the way we like to start this podcast. I throw to you and I ask you what is on your mind and what would you like to lead with on today's show? Yeah, the my feeling is always like an obligation of if we spent the prior episode absolutely going at a team for their deficiencies, and rightly so, mm-hmm. when they turn it around, or at least they seemingly do, it, it feels right to give them credit for that, right? And so that, that feels like the Sydney Kings. Okay. Because we gave them absolute hell last week for a yep. lot of their deficiencies. Mm. And it would it seemed like all of those things that we pulled them up we and everyone pulled them up on were things that they were clearly focused on amending going to that game against the Breakers, which they won by a thousand points. Um but it was we, we saw Jalen Adams look more aggressive. It looked like he was coasting up until this point in the season. Him being aggressive is really good for that team. He's one of the most talented players in the league. We saw Denzel Valentine play a bit more downhill. Everyone played more downhill. Uh, they looked more engaged defensively. They were in a zone for a lot of it, but it was pretty connected. They were able to get stops, run, get downhill. It looked like the, the team that we thought this Sydney Kings team was going to be. Um, so I feel like they deserve our first bit of credit. And then then the next question is, how sustainable is this? Is this real? Like They're, they're the next questions that I've got. But I feel like it was worth giving a shout-out and a spotlight on the Sydney Kings who were not in a good place and came up, came up with a really, really good performance against what I think is a good team in New Zealand. So the first question I have back to you, and this isn't any type of real strong thoughts of mine, but this is what I've been thinking about since watching that game. And to be honest, any takeaways I had from this game, I looked in the first two quarters and the rest I didn't care about because it was over. They were up at 29 points yeah. at the half. They completely destroyed a New Zealand team who uh, had come off a, a pretty disappointing loss a couple of nights earlier they go down to melbourne in a game that was right there for them as well so it's a really tough week for the breakers but i did immediately think to myself well okay we sat here on the podcast two weeks ago and discussed what does the 19 point win over the Cairns Taipans mean so before we fully dive in and say congratulations to the kings you are back in town do we really believe that? Or do we now say, okay, this is a really strong performance. We know you've got the talent. We know that you can go crazy on the offensive end because we've seen it from uh, night in, night out. Different guys are able to do it. So are we ready to say, yes, the Kings actually found something and this is a turning point? Or are we waiting? I mean, we're waiting because okay. we've been through... It wasn't just that Cairns game either. It was that Tassie game before it. Remember, we were calling for the Sydney Kings to step up defensively, to look yeah. more engaged, to play more aggressive defensively with more effort. 
They went and did that against yeah. Tassie in yes. Tassie. That was that was their best win of the season. And then they went and they lost to New Zealand. And then they lost to the Illawarra Hawks on Christmas Day. So it's all right, you got one step literally one step forward, two steps back. And then they went and beat Cairns by twenty odd points. I thought they showed good indicators. You were a bit suspicious. And then they like you said, they go and lose to Melbourne. They go and lose to Brisbane. And now they pick up and then they lose to Adelaide. Yeah. So like they've been through these cycles before. So I don't think it is it is unreasonable for anyone to step forward and say, like, ah, wh- like what a performance. Like that as as astounding as the performance was, as much of a blowout as it was, uh, and as much as we saw Jalen Adams absolutely come out of his shell, like I don't think there's any reason for anyone to think, okay, this is the turning point. It's this is like the first it is like a three point turn. This is like the first first leg of it. They need to do this a few more times against a few more quality uh, teams before we really take them seriously again. I, I think we still agree that their ceiling is probably high. Yeah. Because I think that the, the, the talent still exists. So we, this is their ceiling. When everyone's clicking, when the defense is clicking as well and they're playing downhill, like this is what this team was built to do. But we just have to see it more before we say, all right, they're, they're part of that, that proper contending mix again. This is very basic, and there's nothing too scientific to this thought, but it feels You're like... You're a basic man, Kate. Oh, well, that's for damn sure. And it is. we have, <laughs> we have thought throughout the season on a couple of different occasions that the Kings win, and there is a rush for everyone, including sometimes it feels like from the Kings themselves that, okay, we found something, we're back, we're going to be okay now. So now I think that's where the challenge is for this team. I still see them as a team that seems to be searching for what works. And I look at the starting lineup and Valentine's back in the starting lineup, the Tui, Galloway, Adams, Hunter lineup that actually the numbers suggest has been really, really good this year. But for various reasons, whether it is that effort stuff, whether it is defensively, they have been shuffling through the lineup. So ultimately they came back to that. I think that was predictable. And I always thought that was going to be the case when Valentine went to the bench. I thought, let's give this a few weeks and see if it comes back uh, to that original lineup. And it did that. Uh, Jalen Adams needed it. You, you're right. And mm. I don't necessarily agree so much with the the coasting take. And, and you're not alone with that. He is so casual as a guy. If you're just talking to him, if you're interviewing him. So I don't really think that... I don't think personally it's an indicator of him not having a, a lack of attention or a lack of uh, intensity or anything like that. I think that's just kind of the way he is. But he hasn't been shooting the ball well this year. And he was at 28% from three coming into this game. So to go six for 11 and have a smile on his face and look like he was having fun out there, I think that that does matter. Because if we are talking about the Kings winning a title, they need the MVP. And for an extended stretch now for the last month, he hasn't been that guy. I thought he started the season really well, but they needed him to bounce back. Another indicator that I thought was pretty good and not to continue backing over the same topics that uh, that I bring up about certain teams, but New Zealand can't rebound the ball. They're undersized. But, yeah. but you've got to be able to take advantage of that. And the Kings absolutely crushed the breakers on the glass. The offensive glass, it seemed like it was a real uh, point of emphasis for them to, to get on the offensive glass. They had 11 offensive rebounds that translated to 18 second chance points. And when this game was maybe a game for a few minutes. It was those back-breaking second-chance plays and the really nice ball movement on offense that looked great. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, but I thought that there were some pretty nice things. It was certainly a, a fun game to watch in terms of the way the Sydney Kings were playing because they looked awesome. 
Yeah, the the Jalen Adams stuff to me is it's not necessarily that he he's coasting. It's just that he the when he attacks in spurts. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like this is maybe the first time this season we've seen like a full forty minute barrage from him where he Bryce has had his eyes style. on the rim. That I'm not, I'm I'm scoring. I don't care what you do. I'm going to score or I'm going to get shots up. Exactly. Like, eyes on the rim for 40 straight minutes. Like, yeah. I think it was the first time we saw that. And I feel like the, the, these Kings sometimes need that. Now, they don't need Jalen Adams to score 39 points every every time. They don't need him to drop multiple three-pointers every, like, five-plus three-pointers every time, right? But I feel like they need him to be in attack mode because that opens things up for everyone else. I think it was one of the things that Derek Walton Jr. did well last season where no matter whether he was scoring or, or distributing, he was in attack mode, right? So he was creating advantages in, in all different sorts of ways. And so the Kings were a threat for 40 minutes. Um, I think we a lot of us do forget that this entire time, the Kings have been missing their second best player in DJ Ho. Uh, and when I say the entire time, I mean, he's been injured for a good portion of it. And when he hasn't been injured, I think he's been out of shape. Um, or at the very least, just like not in shape. He's, he's been just someone who's been coming back from an injury and so he hasn't ever been in rhythm now we'll see what they look like when he does come back i'm told there's a decent chance that he does come back this sunday against perth mm. so him back in the lineup again like we, we've seen versions of this where he comes back in and they're the same um but in order for them to reach their ceiling they need him to reach his ceiling um and then this was also a good job from the kings of understanding who they were playing which is a new zealand team coming off a very dispiriting loss against melbourne in some place called New Plymouth, and they had to get all the way to Sydney and yeah, it's for tough. an afternoon game. So that was just a tough road trip. And Modi Mayo said in his presser that it was a, a, a perfect storm. It wasn't just the fact that they traveled and they were coming off a bad loss, but it was also the Sydney Kings were seemingly aware of that. They were on top of them early. They hit shots early. Denzel Valentine couldn't miss that little floater in the lane. Everything was just working for the Kings and against the Breakers. And so that's that's what leads to the, the outcome of this of this magnitude. And this is also not similar, but the vibes were similar going into the game between the Illawarra Hawks and the Brisbane Bullets this weekend. With the Illawarra Hawks, they came away with their win over the Tasmania Jack Jumpers in double yes. overtime. Uh, and then they had a... I was in Brisbane. It was a 1 p.m. game. So you land in Brisbane. You have a 1 p.m. game basically the next day. And you're just in a you're just in a really rough place when it comes to preparation and and, and resting your body and things like that. Um, but that is that is the nature of the schedule, and it's on the opposing teams to make sure that they're on top of them from, from the tip. Yeah, maybe some schedule stuff there, but again, that's not for the Sydney Kings fans to give one single crap about because I'm sure that they'll take <laughs> the win. And as we said, uh, it was one that they really needed. But just on that, whether there was the energy or the uh, a breakers team that perhaps wasn't as switched on as what we've normally seen or come used to seeing under Modi Mayor. And that's another thing that I'm just going to watch over the next few weeks here with the Kings. They basically sat in a zone for the entire first half of that game. And I think the breakers just bailed them out. They actually started the game really well and they were getting into the gaps and they were getting to those mid-range spots and trying to get to the rim. And then they just started settling for threes and just taking the, the first jump shot that came to them. I think that played into the Sydney Kings' hands. I think if the Kings are playing a better team, they probably don't allow you to just play zone defense for, for the majority of the night. So I think that that's going to be something to watch because the Kings' defense, as we've spoken about, it doesn't look like they've been able to find the right mix. And just quickly, with DJ Hogue, we talk about the Kings' team that's trying to find their rotation and find their lineups. Clearly, you desperately want DJ Hogue to be healthy and in the lineup and playing 
but they are running out of time here. There's only six games before the playoffs. And now yeah. while they're trying to find all this rhythm, then again, there's going to be a lineup change, probably. Certainly a rotation change. And they're going to have to try and find that mix again. It just feels like they, this is a team that hasn't been able to get settled. Well, maybe that's why they they tried Denzel Valentine as this guy that comes off the bench and is just sort of your flamethrower. Comes in, gives you gives you a spark, your microwave. Maybe that's DJ Hogue this season, just because of the circumstances. You assumed he would have been the guy that was going to be you know, part of the absolute core of, of how you start. And, and obviously, he's one of your best best players. Maybe because of the nature of the injuries he's had and the circumstances, maybe he's the guy who comes off the bench, doesn't disrupt any rhythm that you're finding within, with that starting group, with Tui in that starting lineup. Maybe he comes off the bench and just, just yeets threes and... See what happens. Maybe he just gives you instant offense off the bench and then there's not much pressure for him to, well, at the very least, initially find rhythm with that group. At the very least, just come on and, and get into your own rhythm, basically. Maybe that's what they do going forward with this team and they have the talent to do it because I think the starting lineup can operate as is without DJ Hogue. Just add DJ Hogue to the mix scoring-wise and see what happens. Ian Clark did come off the bench until he was required to start when Jalen Adams was hurt a couple of seasons ago. So there is some precedent there for the Sydney Kings to have a seriously talented import coming off the bench and a team that maybe can make a deep playoff run. Uh, so we mentioned the Kings are 11-11. The Tassie Jack Jump is also there. I want to get to them in just a little bit. But just briefly, because you have been in Brisbane and we haven't spoke a lot about the Brisbane Bullets, a couple of massive wins. They're right in the mix now. And they've put themselves in a decent position. Again, they're one of those teams that only has six games left. So the, the postseason, the play-in, if they make it, it's going to come around really quickly. Did you have any takeaways yeah. from seeing Brisbane up close here for the last week or so? Uh, firstly, good on you for delaying talking about your Tassie Jack jumpers absolutely flailing. The lately. tease. Um, yeah. uh, no, Brisbane is super interesting. The When you look at their roster... They're never as quote unquote talented as the other team. When you look at the, the top tier guys on both teams, you, you on with the bullets you have Nathan Sobey, and then you have a, a big drop off with just with regard to perceived talent than the other teams. You go against the Illawarra Hawks, you would you would say that Gary Clark, Tyler Harvey, Justin Robinson, Sam Froling are all up there, and then it's Nathan Sobey, as in like they're, they're like that's like, and then you have just the benches. Um, but I think that's what Brisbane has been doing really, really well, just getting little bits of production and output from different guys. And I think Derek Rock has said it really well that they're doing it in different ways as well. On one hand, against the Jack Jumpers, they were able to lock up. They did a really good job against Sydney and Tassie over this four-game winning streak of uh, running them off the line. These are two really high-volume three-point shooting teams. The Bullets had their schemes in place, ran them off the line, kept both teams, I think, to to below 20 uh, three-point attempts, which is way below what those teams want to do. Um, and that led to really good outcomes. Um, and then against the Hawks, it, they didn't guard as well, but they were able to score the ball at a really efficient rate. Um, and they're maybe not getting what they would have hoped from a Shannon Scott and some yeah. of these guys, and in that game against Illawarra Hawks, they were missing Josh Bannon. So they've really had to dig deep into their bench. But this is why they recruited certain guys. This is why they recruited Mitch Norton and Sam McDaniel and Isaac White. Because these are all guys who have shown to be effective and shown to have produced in high-pressure situations. 
you know, Mitch Norton's an NBL champion. Sam McDaniel's an NBL champion. Isaac White has never missed the playoffs in his young NBL career. These are guys who have performed on the big stage. And so when you need these guys to step up, they will. Um, that's the difference between this depth of the Bullets and the depth of some other teams around the league. There's some proven... No, these guys have demonstrated that they've done this before. So they, they lent on their bench a lot. And I think it's something that they're going to have to continue to do down the stretch because it's Nathan Sobey and others. And then Nathan Sobey is the other thing. I think Nathan Sobey has done a good job the last few games of finding his spots within the offense as opposed to finding his spots in spite of the offense. And that is the difference between a team that functions really really sustainably offensively and one that just that falls apart at the end of games. We saw little glimpses of that hero ball stuff that wasn't working at the end of that Sydney game. But it, it seems like something that he's cleaning up because there seems to be a little bit more trust in, you know, guys 2 through 11 on this Brisbane Bulls roster from Nathan Sobey. You could talk about the shot selection a little bit there, but I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Sobey because if you just look at the overall numbers, and we know it's been a, a pretty disastrous two-year kind of period. He's been dealing with a lot of injuries. The knees haven't been great, all those types of things, really on the back of the Olympics. But his numbers this year... Pretty damn good. And he's never yeah. going to be the most efficient guy. He's around 41% from the field. But he's getting you 21 points per game. Bryce Cotton's the only guy that's scoring more. And Bryce is at around 24. So he's getting about two or three more points per game. The efficiency for both guys is almost identical. Bryce Cotton's actually at 39% from the field on the season. And here's the other thing. Bryce is playing eight more minutes per game. Now, this is not me advocating or making some sort of case for Nathan Sobey for MVP. That's not what I'm doing. But what I am saying <laughs> is that... I think Sobey has become a guy over the last few years because the injuries have been there, because the bullets have been a little bit of a basket case. You kind of forget that he is a guy that should be in the discussion when you're talking about guys that are the most prolific scorers in the league. And sometimes I watch the bullets team and you mentioned all those guys that you did. And I think they're excellent. They can, they play their role. They can have their moments scoring the ball, but I'm still looking at the bullets and saying, well, okay, Sobey, probably need you to get 25 tonight and i think that he understands that and i think that's partly right. some of the reason why he takes some of those shots we do see the same with bryce when he carries his perth wildcats team we see the same in adelaide with dj Vasiljevic when he gets up shots from from all angles as well so Sobey's had a really good year uh, i do wonder at the back end where he sort of figures in the all nbl stuff but uh, that would be a pretty remarkable and impressive turnaround and if he if he was back in that mix and I think he will be, because I yeah. think the All-NBL stuff, as in production-wise, I think he's obviously in those conversations. And the Bullets are good enough. The, those conversations, and the, it's going to be really weird this year because the difference between being third and being ninth is like is probably going to be like two games. Yeah. So saying that like this, this guy can't be in an All-NBL team because his team is ninth, I don't think it really carries uh, much weight to it because all these teams outside of... Melbourne and then Perth, all those teams below Perth are practically the same. Exactly. Maybe Adelaide is that the outlier down the bottom, but the, the, these teams are largely the same. Um, so I think he'll be considered pretty heavily. Uh, he is still like the number one guy on their scout. He's still he's still the guy that you are most fearful of when you play the Bullets. Um, I just think lately, I think he's just been doing it in a way more healthy way. Yeah. The, against against the Laura Hawks, it was twenty five points on twelve shots. He got to the line a lot. I thought. Mm -hmm. I thought they gave him good looks. This was like a weird defensive game from the Hawks. Um, I, I, I haven't done it yet, but I want to look at the Illawarra Hawks defensive numbers taking out some of their outlier games because I feel like they'd be they'd look more like a middle of the pack team as opposed to this elite defensive team that 
I think a lot of people were, were thinking they were. Um, but look, the, these Brisbane Bullets, I, they're interesting to me. They, they just beat the Illawarra Hawks without Josh Bannon and without Casey Prather. Uh, they've won four in a row. They go to Perth this week against the Perth team that's won, I think, four in a row. Um, and that's, that's going to be a test. They beat Perth when Perth was flailing toward the start of the season. Uh, both teams have figured some stuff out. Uh, and so we'll see what happens. Um, and then the other thing on Brisbane that I think is worth mentioning is this off season, the Bullets, they had to basically make their pick on which big they wanted, Tyrell Harrison or Gorjok Gak. And I think they got a lot of stick for picking Tyrell Harrison because yeah. there was a lot of hype around that on that Gorjok Gak train. Tyrell Harrison is like a real damn player. And I went to go look at some of his game logs and I saw he was born in 1999. He's 24 years old. So I think a lot of us, a lot of us forget that he's not close to his prime, whatever that means. He is still he still has so much growth, but for him as like a legit seven foot plus guy who has I think good touch around the rim, is really I think he's really coming into his own. He's like in that most improved player sort of conversation. I think he's been playing really good basketball. That Aaron Bain suspension at the start of the season might have been a blessing in disguise for this prison Bullets team. They had the same situation last year with just a mix of big men there, and obviously Rocco's there as well. So they have actually, over the last few years, carried more centers. Harry Farrelland, they've carried more centers than most yeah, yeah. teams. Most teams maybe have two at the Jack most. Salt. Yeah, and they're just rolling with a big Lou, bringing yeah. him back. But no, the Bullets have they've, <laughs> they've certainly enjoyed their big man over the last few years. There's big no question. Lou. I miss Big Lou. Yeah, yeah, no, he's, uh, he was great. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, Tasmania, <laughs> eleven and eleven on the season, and there's what's going a, on, Kane? Well, it's a it's a great question because I, I think what we've seen over this last little stretch for sure is just their lack of ability to win the close games. So now, as I've said uh, right throughout the season, when we've talk, spoken about uh, different teams, it was like, okay, well, what's the trend? But the Jack Jumpers so far this year in games that have been decided by one possession. This is ridiculous how many close games this Tassie Jack Jumpers team plays in, but we can get into potentially some of the reasons why. But they're two and five in one possession games this season. They lost to the Phoenix by one point. They lost to Brisbane by three. Then they beat Brisbane by two. They beat the Cairns Bands by three. Then they've lost to Perth by one, lost to Brisbane. They've had some really close games by three points and then lost yeah. in this double overtime game to the Illawarra Hawks. So if we just focus in on what we saw against Illawarra and keep it in mind that the Jack Jumpers did a a pretty good job to get this to overtime in the first place because it didn't look like this was going to be the case with a few minutes to play. I think they did that in a way with the shot making, with Crawford getting to the mid-range, with Jack McVeigh hitting a three on a, on a reload and then Milton Dole just doing what we know he can do down the stretch. The way that they were able to get back into that game in the fourth quarter and the way they were able to score is exactly why I believe in the Jack Jumpers but they're just not winning these close games. So what does it mean to you? What do you are you 
overly concerned because all the numbers you want to look at with this Jack Jumpers team tells you that they are one of the better teams in the league. Yeah, and uh, as much as I want to just like shit on the Jack Jumpers because you're here, uh, like I'm not going just to, to. Just right? to be clear They're... to everyone, that is purely about me, not about the actual Tassie Jack Jumpers. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, this is it. Yeah. Um, like they're on a bad stretch of games, right? They've, I want, what have they lost? Six, like six of the last eight games. Yeah. Um, they, and I'm just going through the. And their all schedule. their losses have been single digits. This is the thing. That's like the they, thing. they are losing they every close game. Yeah, and they haven't lost yet. They haven't lost a game by double digits. So they're they're in every single game, which is wild to think about. Um, I think they're still finding ways on on how Jordan Crawford and Milton Doyle play together. Um, I think they're still figuring out how those two are most effective together, especially at the end of games, uh, where I feel like to start the season, it seems really clear. Like you're putting the ball in Milton Doyle's hands and allowing him to make decisions. Now I think it's a bit more, it's a bit more mixed. Um, I just think they need to define to, to those roles just a little bit better. But like I, again, like I don't see like crazy red flags here. Um, you know, you, you look at them and the Sydney Kings, and they probably have a similar record over these past like ten games. There were like bad indicators with the Sydney Kings, where you you knew that okay, they had to fix this, this, and this in order to be a functional basketball team again and and win games. With this Tasmania Jack Jumpers team, I don't want to sound like I'm underreacting and say that this is just the nature of sort of circumstances and luck, just little things not falling their way. Um, I do think that there is an issue with how they guard on the perimeter consistently. Uh, I think we saw that at the end of that Brisbane Bullets game where if if Anthony Drimmick is your go-to point of attack defender, then you're having some issues. In the same way that when the Illawarra, going up against the Illawarra Hawks, no Wani swipe of the bullock on the Illawarra Hawks team. For them to have to rely on uh, Hyun Jung Lee and Todd Blanchfield as their point of attack, attack guys on Milton Doyle, that, that didn't sit right with me. You need more elite guys there. So I don't know if they have the personnel for that. Um, and so basically they're just relying on the two main guys in Doyle and Crawford to get it done. And then I think there's going to be a lot on Will McNair to be that guy who just protects the paint, who's a beast on both ends, obviously. I think his ceiling is super high. And I think that that little injury scare was just that. It was a scare. So I don't think there's any concerns with with Magne. Um, with him, it's just staying on the floor. But like, again, I, as currently built, yeah, I got some questions defensively, especially guarding out of the perimeter. But like, I'm not, I'm not raising any red flags. I'm not seeing any like crazy bad indicators with these losses they're just close losses and again like, i don't if any if there's any player or team that i'm going to trust with their processes especially come the end of games like i don't think the jack jumpers are one that i'm really like overly concerned about so they're in a lot of close games and this is uh not something new with the tassie jack jumpers but they still play at the slowest pace in the league as well so just for uh, reference there, averaging around six fewer possessions per game than the Sydney Kings, who are the number one ranked uh, team in the league. So oh, I think that as a result of that, uh, they are going to be harder to uh, blow out because they are pretty well organized. And, and we can have the conversation about the personnel, but I think that's part of the reason why uh, they are a difficult team to to uh, blow out. But also, uh, they're not blowing out teams either. So it's it sort of works both ways for this Tassie team. Uh, they were destroyed in the paint 
Illawarra outscored the Jack Jumpers 60 to 32 in this game, which is concerning. But I'm glad that you brought up Will Magne because he played 16 minutes on Wednesday night against the Bullets in that close loss. And he came back and played 30 minutes in this game, in this double overtime game against Illawarra two nights later. So again, you talk about different schedule stuff. This is what I'm saying. Everyone's traveling, so every team can point it out. But for the Jack Jumpers, you play double overtime two nights after you're in Brisbane. You have to get to Tassie. We know it's not the easiest place to travel to. So it's a factor again, but every team has it. It's fine. But the fact that they were comfortable to put Will Magday on the floor for 30 minutes two nights after he played 16, that is a really positive sign. And the Jack Jumpers were plus eight with Will Magnay on the floor in this game against Illawarra as well. So there is no question he is a major, major key to what this team can do. He's been a super efficient scorer. We know that he helps the defense, particularly when you are getting destroyed in the paint. So I wonder whether Will Magnay, if they are feeling that confident in his body, I wonder whether we see him start here in the next few weeks. Yeah, I, I'm i not sure. And it doesn't seem like they really care either. Um, prior to that game against the Hawks, I thought Marcus Lee was really finding his way yeah. As well. He started the season a little bit slow. Um, it had been super up and down. And then his minutes were up and down too because of that. I think Roth has kept a really tight leash, tight leash with Marcus Lee. But it seemed like he was finding his spots a little bit better. His touch was there. He was figuring out where I think guys were realizing he can throw it up and he'll throw it down. And I think he was getting it done on both ends. Against the Hawks, I don't think he was too effective. Uh, so Magne stepped in and was that. But I think him also refighting his groove in the NBL... It's something that will help this team a lot, especially defensively, where they started the season poorly and have since just made positive steps toward being better in that area. Um, but yeah, a lot of the, this team's success, I think, will rely on Magne. And I think especially how much he'll be able to produce offensively too, because I think him being a force down low is something that this team is going to need going forward, especially come the playoffs when everyone plays a slow pace. And I think he's just going to be way more involved. We can say that we're not that worried about this Tassie team, but they're also back in the mix now. Again, as we pointed to, one of those teams that are at 500. So you keep losing those close games. The losses start to add up. They had a tremendous start to the season, but now they're right back in the mix and they get Melbourne United this week. So you talk Mm -hmm. about a challenge for this team. We've said they can't be blown out. Are they going to be in another close game down the stretch? And if you wanted to, as a Tassie fan, all of a sudden, any concerns that you've got, any worries that you've got, put them all away. Imagine if you could win a close game against Melbourne United. That would at least make you feel pretty good. I think the whole team obviously would take a lot of confidence from that as well. But I get the uh, I have the suspicion that Scotty Roth isn't uh, panicking too much. While we were talking about Will Magne and potentially Aussie big men that have been overlooked a little bit for health reasons and some bad luck they've had over the last few years, uh, Isaac Humphreys has been on a little bit of a tear here over the last few weeks. Adelaide have been a pretty competent lineup, you have to say, here over the last few weeks. They beat the Sydney Kings. Uh, they then uh, come up with a loss a, a few nights after that. But they are a team now that is looking pretty competitive. We had uh, DJ Vasilievich on the jump last Thursday night prior to the game against the Sydney Kings. And he didn't declare it that it was some sort of big chance, but he at least mentioned the playing tournament. I mean, this is a team that clearly is still uh, playing together and wanting to win a whole bunch of games. And I think... The utilization of Isaac Humphreys since the coaching change, you look at the numbers, going from around seven shots per game last year with United to Adelaide this year, he's getting up over 13 shots per game. Now under Scott Ninnis, he's been efficient. And they're just they're putting the offense through him. And he is, he is scoring, and he's just looking really damn good. And it's a nice reminder 
Uh, remember the first little stretch he had with Adelaide before he got hurt? It was an absolute beast. Hmm. And that was with Josh Giddy, who obviously in hindsight, sort of generational passer in Australia. Right. He had like a proper pick and roll buddy in Adelaide. He doesn't really have that now. It's sometimes DJ Vasiljevic when when they when they're in that on ball together, but re- we really don't see much of it. A lot of this is just either he's getting his own stuff or they're just throwing it in and he's just going to work. And none of this seems it seems like deliberate, right? It seems like Scott Nidus has made this a, a focus, right? Get the ball into Isaac, run it through him. But it doesn't seem like there are like many actions to like get him good looks or whatever. It's just throw it in and let him just be a talented guy. Um, and that's what he has, he has been one of Australia's most talented big men since he was a junior, since Australian under 17. He's been that. And there have been, you know, bouts with injury. There have been, you know, issues with fit sometimes. But I think no one has denied that he's always been supremely talented. And now that he's getting the looks, so he started the season under CJ Bruton. He was getting around seven field goal attempts a game and everyone was calling for him to get more touches. Under Scott Nittis, he's getting around 15 field goal attempts a game and the efficiency has stayed the same. And so having a target for that team and him being able to produce at the same level of efficiency has just opened a, a ton up for this 36ers team. And I think it gives them a lot of interesting things to think about for next season, uh, which we spoke about in our column yesterday. Uh, with Adelaide, much respect to DJ, but the, the, the playing tournament, especially with that loss to Cairns, which was very, which was a heartbreaking loss. That was yeah. an absolute. They they should have won that game. It was their game to lose, and they somehow did lose it. But Adelaide is seven and fourteen now. Yeah, they probably have to go seven and zero the rest of the way to make the the play-in. So it's probably out of the picture for them, obviously. Um, but there was a point where they looked like they might, they could sneak in, um, and at the very least, they they look like a team that you probably don't want to play right now. If you got your games against Adelaide done early in the season. Man, good on Cast you. In. Because yeah, because this is an Adelaide team that is feeling themselves. They they got wins over Melbourne, over Sydney, and they've got Isaac Humphreys playing the best basketball of his career. They've got DJ Vasilovic finding his rhythm in his role out here, and Trey Kelly's playing really good basketball these days. So they're they're just not a team that you want to play right now, as much as they are maybe not mathematically, but they are practically out of the playoff picture. I do think when you look at, and this was one of the things I mentioned in the column, when you look at teams that have had success, and we're talking championship success, there is two guys, and it doesn't always have to be locals, but they're guys that complement each other well. And I think Isaac Comfrey's a guy, he's a little old school. He doesn't mind working in the post. And then you've got DJ, who's the the modern day gunner from the outside. I think they actually just fit together really well as well. And obviously two local guys now, I don't necessarily expect both of them to be with Adelaide next year, but this is an interesting situation for the 36ers because I look at their roster and what they've put together over the last few seasons, and I've never really been sure what they're trying to do or what they're going to look like, and I've had no clue what they're going to do next year. Now, I don't know whether it's possible, and you have to go through and you have to try and get a coach, but this is the first time in a few years that I'm looking at the roster and saying, okay, you've got right now, if you could fast forward to next year and keep everything around, You've actually got some some building blocks of what should be a really good team. Especially if you think of like if you look at DJ Vasilovic and the fact that he's won championships in Sydney can maybe give you like at least the view of like what building blocks are. And think of how those teams that they were not built around DJ 
but DJ being amongst championship teams in the role that he played, you can sort of see if Isaac Humphries is your Xavier Cooks, just with regard to like, your, he's that other local, that other elite local player. And then you put three points around them. Like you've seen teams with, you know, two elite local players, one of them being DJ Vasiljevic, and three solid imports win a championship. Um, and so I, I agree with you. You at the very least, you can look at what you have now and think, okay, there is you can grow off this. Whereas every other season, it's always <laughs> like, oh, we've got to keep this guy, or okay, we've got to just start again. Um, I think they'll. I think there's a good chance they keep one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they can actually like keep the entire crew together and build off it, I don't know. But at the very least, like it doesn't feel. It feels like a little bit healthier in Adelaide. Maybe it's just because they're winning games. Um, but there's at the very least, there are like signs of what this could be, as opposed to, all right, like let's just like fast forward to the end of the season because. This is nothing. No, like you, they are learning things from from playing games right now. Whereas that's not that wasn't the case for Adelaide last season. That wasn't the case for the Bullets last season. This is a healthy place for this Adelaide 36 team to be in right now. We've flagged the standings endlessly over the last few weeks, and uh, underneath that trio of teams that's at 500: Tasmania, Sydney, Brisbane. You've got Illawarra nine and ten, and they still have nine games left. So they've played the fewest amount of games right across the league. So far, Cairns, I can't get a read on right now. Southeast Melbourne have been horrible for you know, all the reasons we could discuss, but probably can't be bothered. And then <laughs> New Zealand, who loses those two games, but they're 8 and 12. Uh, I'm getting the feeling, or I'm still going to get the sense that you think New Zealand is maybe the team that has the best chance of sliding up and fighting their way in the six. We've discussed a number of times just how challenging the last four or five games are for Illawarra. So to me, with the Hawks still below 500, they're a team that I'm still looking at. Um, but having said that, there's no teams really outside now that are they're really looking to grab that opportunity. We've seen this right throughout the year. So Illawarra's schedule is very tough, but also so is everyone. Illawarra right. has a lot That's of doubles. Right. Illawarra has a lot of doubles coming up, and maybe that might affect them. Um, like they didn't look too well, great, especially defensively, in their double against Brisbane Bullets, but they were also coming off um, a double overtime game in Tasmania. So it's the, the circumstances mean something there. Um, New Zealand is just the fact that they're eight and twelve just makes again every loss obviously makes it more and more unlikely they're even going to make the plan. I just think today they're probably like the third best team in the league. I, I I just think the way that they operate and I think what their ceiling is is just that. Um, the fact that you can, I think they have the three best imports in the league. Um, outside of Bryce, I'm taking Bryce Cotton out of it and I'm taking Jalen Adams at his best out of it. But like the New Zealand Breakers go into every game with maybe the three best players on the floor every single time because of how good Parker Jackson Carver and Zylan Cheatham and Anthony Lamb are. They just have to figure out they they just have to bank wins. You mean it's, the best to be clear, hard. you mean the best trio, not literally the the individual three best players, obviously. Cause, I mean, cause, because that that's that's not true. I mean okay, they go up against Sydney. Yeah. Again, Jalen Adams at his best, sure. I think the next three best players uh in some water, Jackson Cartwright, Cheatham Lamb. Like, I think and I think they I think New Zealand goes into most games with a version of that where three of the four best players on the floor are the New Zealand breakers. That's just the way I feel about yeah. that trio. Now, that doesn't say anything about how well they play together, how well they come off back to back games, 
Anthony Lamb has not looked great coming off uh, in the second game of back-to-backs. So all this stuff matters. But I think just at least on paper, this New Zealand, this New Zealand Breakers team, I think is really, really good. And if they make it into the play-in, they're absolutely not a team you want to play. I think they are. I think they would be. I think they are the, the third best team if they make the play-in. But they've got to make it. And right now, eight and twelve is really tough. You again. You probably we're assuming five hundred gets you in. Five hundred with some percentage. Losing a lot of percentage against Sydney is rough for this New Zealand Breakers team. But yeah, the Breakers having to go six and two the rest of the way. It's a really tall order. No matter how talented I think they are. There's five guys uh, averaging, well, let's actually, let's stick with four. There's four guys that are averaging 20-plus points per game in the NBL this season. Bryce Cotton, Nathan Sobey, Mitch Creek, Anthony Lamb. Uh, the big difference between those four guys, really, is the efficiency. And Cotton and Sobey, probably more volume based on what we've seen this season, despite the fact we've already had the discussion. They're carrying their teams to a certain extent. And uh, Perth, obviously, have been on the tear. Brisbane now starting to win a few games. But yeah, the efficiency of Mitch Creek and Lamb uh, does stand out when you look at those guys. Mitch Creek at around 50% from the field, 44% from three. Uh, Lamb is about 49 and 36. So, yeah, those two guys in terms of the premier scorers in the league are on a different level when it comes to efficiency so far. So definitely got no problem with uh, pumping up Lamb. And if, if there's one thing that we do know, Oggs, if that New Zealand ship is going down this season, you're going down with it. That is one thing that we know because you have kept... <laughs> the faith since the preseason, and I think that it's highly admirable. Uh, how about we look ahead to this week a little bit before we wrap this up? You know, one team that we didn't discuss a lot, I just mentioned them, but I am really fascinated to see what comes of this weekend just because of the tear that they've been on, the Perth Wildcats, because this is a really challenging double that they've got. They'll play the Brisbane Bullets on Friday night at home. That will be an intriguing matchup, really, for both teams, I think, based on what we've seen. A little Cotton versus Sobe action there as well. But then they're going to jump on a plane to meet the old friends at Kudos Bank Arena, the Sydney Kings. This is going to be an interesting weekend for the Wildcats. And is that, would that be one of the toughest turnarounds? Yeah, the 2 p.m. game. Yeah. Yeah, like a 9.30, whatever, Melbourne time, I mean. Yeah. And then go to a 2 p.m. So it's damn near 24 hours later. Yeah. Um, And again, NBA teams play back-to-backs all the time. Yeah. But that's still tough, the travel as well. So all that matters. I think the reason we don't talk about Perth as much as we perhaps should is in the same way that when Melbourne was going on a tear and they were the obvious best team in the league, and I still think they are, but when they first started their tear and they were like 10 and 2 or whatever, we just like stopped talking about them because it's just like, whoa, whoa, I don't know what more we're going to say. Um, like they're, they're doing really well. Bryce Cotton's doing great. They're getting a lot of good stuff out of Ty Webster. Um, Christian Doolittle's potential concussion I don't know if they've listed it as a concussion yet but he's obviously concussed Uh, they that that could be concerning obviously going into these two games because the concussion protocols are pretty strict and assuming he does have a concussion and he probably does that means that he would have to miss both of these games because of those protocols there's there's no wiggle room with them Um, so that's that's big we'll see how they look without him because I think we've all mentioned how important he's been to their success especially defensively especially rebounding um I think they're just they're just a known quantity now. The Perth Wildcats. They're just one of they're just in. If we're tiering the teams, it's Melbourne and then it's Perth, and Perth is sort of in their, a tier of their own. And yeah, it's, it's, I think it's the reason why we don't talk about them. I think yeah, we know now. Like they're they're a good team until they either slip up or do something on the other end of the extreme. 
to you know a, a significant order of magnitude I, I think we're just going to not talk about them because they, they're good they're really good we'll be talking about them next monday olgs or next tuesday because they're playing the jackies this week and i think there's going to be storylines that come from this <laughs> game no matter what happens maybe maybe the panic or just the nerves continue to settle in with the tassie jack jumpers a bit if they aren't able to get this win as you mentioned they're two and six over their last eight games uh, just quickly, one other team I'll be watching this weekend, the Illawarra Hawks, uh, mostly because we discussed the schedule that they've got coming up later on in the season. They haven't, they've got uh, obviously uh, quite a few games still left to play. But if you get Cairns and then Adelaide, now I, I understand. At home, both of them. I, I understand we're talking that these teams can be you know, up and down any given night. Everyone's competitive right now. But if you're the Hawks and you want to make the the plane or you want to make the postseason, you got to get these two. You got to go get them, and they've been so good now for an extended period of time. You just can't afford to have a slip up. This is a massive weekend for the Hawks. Yeah, like as in these are two. Uh, they're you wouldn't call it a scheduled scheduled win. There are no real scheduled wins. No. in the NBL, like there aren't many. But these are two ones where the Hawks should be highly favored to win both of these games, both home games. Yes, it's a Thursday, then Saturday, so it's a quick turnaround. But these are two home games. You're at home. They, they, they're back in the gong now, and they get to stay there until they play Cairns and Adelaide. And so these are two teams that you are ahead of on the ladder, that your form is way better than you should beat these teams. Like, that that just should be the case. Um, Because then you go to Perth after that, and you don't want to have lost two games that you should have won going to games that you're probably not going to win. Right, you want to pocket these two wins going to game that you're not favored to win, because just at the for the very at the very least for morale, but also again this ladder is just so tight that losing games you're supposed to win is is the sign of a, a, a shaky team. So you don't want to be that, especially going to the plane, but also especially just going toward the back end of um, just a, a crazy season when it comes to parity. And the good news for everyone listening to this podcast at Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. That game, the Hawks and the Taipans tips off. Uh, but turn on the TV, 30 minutes earlier. The jump. What's on before it? The jump, ah. presented by Hungry Jacks. The burgers are better at Hungry Jacks. <laughs> I don't know. They actually don't uh, sponsor this podcast. They do great stuff for us, but I don't know. I don't know if I should mention that. But We're under a, no obligation to, no, no to obligation. Bump our Hungry Jacks burgers. No, but I, I am wondering if they can get me some burgers over here. Uh, I don't know how the shipping would work, but... Uh, uh, fantastic product. Uh, Olks, this has been outstanding <laughs> by you, as always, as it is every single Monday. We mention it every time, but if you haven't done so yet, turn the notifications on, hit, hit subscribe and follow on whatever platform you're listening to us. Uh, we'll be back next week, of course. Headline or storyline Mondays, Olks Notebook, always an intriguing read on ESPN.com.au. The jump, nothing but net, NBA, NBL, WNBL, everything. This is your home for hoops, Olks. Did you hear that? Yeah, I did. I heard all of it. There's too much content. That's right. This has been the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. Kenny Pittman, Olga Norwich. Enjoy the hoops right throughout the week. And we'll speak to you again same time next week.